may be too small for you to see, but on the screen behind me is an advertisement campaign that was run by Hugo Boss a few years ago, and the caption, which you definitely won't be able to read, is, Life's a journey, travel light. That slogan was used to sell a fragrance. And I suppose the point was, all you really need for life's journey is the right kind of aftershave or perfume. And maybe some of you can testify to the wonderful effects of Hugo Boss in your experience. But Hugo Boss was not the first to compare life to a journey. Plenty of writers have done the same thing. Maybe the most famous is John Bunyan in his book, The Pilgrim's Progress. That book follows a man called Christian as he journeys from the city of destruction all the way to the celestial city. And John Bunyan himself didn't pull that idea out of nowhere. According to the Bible, Christians are on a journey. We're going somewhere from slavery and fear all the way to rest in God's presence. And this idea is particularly strong in the book of Hebrews. We've been looking at this book over the last couple of weeks. And it's a book that as a whole focuses on Jesus Christ. It does that for a particular reason. As we read this book, we discover it's written to Christians who are weary and disheartened. Men and women who feel, at least a little bit, like giving up. And the writer's antidote to that is to point them to Jesus. He shows them that Jesus is a many-sided treasure. And he says, how could you despair... How could you give up when you have such a priceless treasure? And as Jesus is being shown to us in this book, we're also being reminded that Christian life is a journey. It is not a stroll around a circular path. Yes, there are plenty of twists and turns, plenty of hills and valleys. But the path we are on is not aimless. It has a destination. Chapter 2 explained that briefly by saying God is bringing many sons and daughters to glory. And this morning we're going to begin looking at chapter 3. In fact, we'll look at the whole chapter. And the writer begins to expand on what he said in chapter 2. And as he says more about the journey, he presents Jesus as our guide for the journey. So if you haven't yet turned to the book of Hebrews, you'll find it on page 1202 or in the large print 1863. We've been hearing about Jesus already for two chapters and now chapter 3 begins, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, 
just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. This is God's word. And there's a very strong warning in this passage. But look back to the start of chapter 3. Notice how the writer speaks so positively about these people. In verse 1, He says they're holy, meaning they have been set apart for God. And he says they have the highest possible destiny. They share in the heavenly calling. They've been called by heaven to heaven to the glory of God's presence. These people are incredibly privileged. They're on a journey to God's glory. And what they need to do is fix their thoughts on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is God's authoritative messenger. Verse 1 calls him our apostle and high priest. This is the second time Jesus has been called our high priest. But the explanation for that isn't going to come until the end of chapter 4. Here in chapter 3, the focus is on Jesus, our apostle. An apostle is a messenger sent from God. When we hear the messenger's voice, we're hearing God's voice. We said before, the book of Hebrews is really a sermon on the Old Testament. It's constantly referring to the Old Testament. And if we were to list the most important people in the Old Testament... Moses would be right up near the top of the list, along with 
probably Abraham and David. But at the time Hebrews was written, Moses would have edged in front of those other two, at least in most people's thinking. That's because it was Moses who led the exodus from Egypt. That was the most significant event in Israel's history. And shortly after the exodus, it was Moses who received the law from God at Mount Sinai. The law governed the life of Israel. So Moses was seen as a very important figure. And rightly so, because it was God who had made Moses important. It was God who called Moses from a burning bush and then sent him to confront Pharaoh, to lead Israel out of their slavery to Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh decided to chase after his escaping slaves, it was Moses who stood on the edge of the Red Sea with Pharaoh's chariots speeding towards the Israelites. It was Moses who raised his hand over the water. And in response, the Lord divided the water and Israel crossed on dry land. When the Egyptians tried to follow, again, it was in response to Moses' raised hand that God brought the sea back into its place, drowning the Egyptian army. And then only weeks after, it was God who called Moses up Mount Sinai to receive the law. And when Miriam and Aaron, Moses' brother and sister, when they began to question Moses' authority, it was God who came forward and put them in their place. The book of Numbers tells how Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses. They started saying, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? What they were doing was disputing and challenging Moses' role as God's authoritative messenger among the Israelites. And in response to Miriam and Aaron, God said this. Listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? God made it really clear. Moses was different. He had a special place in God's plans. God spoke face to face with Moses. So Moses' word was to have unique authority among God's people. Miriam and Aaron were put firmly back in their place. The Israelites continued on their journey with Moses as their guide and their commander. And here in Hebrews, Our writer uses the great significance of Moses to show us the even greater significance of Jesus. Verse 2. He was faithful, that's Jesus, to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. God's house here means God's people, his family. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were God's house. 
Now God's house is the church, drawn from not just Israel, but from every nation. And both Jesus and Moses can be described as faithful in the work that God gave them to do. Moses was faithful as God's messenger to guide the Israelites on their journey. Jesus is faithful as God's messenger to guide the church on its journey. Two special men. Two faithful apostles of God. But now we're showing the difference between them. In verse 3. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone. But God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house. Jesus is faithful as the son over God's house. Moses had a special role in God's plans. But at the end of the day, he was not building God's house. He was part of it. He had been raised up to guide God's people. Jesus, on the other hand, is the builder of God's house. And he came down to be its guide. The point is, if Miriam and Aaron were foolish to question Moses' authority... How much more foolish would we be to question Jesus' authority? If Moses' word was to be trusted because God spoke to Moses face to face, how much more can we trust Jesus' word since he is the Son of God? If Moses was the Israelites' only sure guide for their journey, How much more can we say Jesus is the only sure guide for our journey? In fact, we're told Moses was intended to foreshadow Jesus. Verse 5 says Moses bore witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. If Moses gave clear and wise direction to God's people, that was only a preview of the clear and wise direction Jesus would give. Jesus is God's authoritative messenger. And here's where we get to the sharp edge of all this. In the Old Testament, what was the evidence that men and women truly belonged to God's family? The evidence was they followed Moses. They recognized Moses as their guide for the journey. And today... What is the sign that someone belongs to God's family? That man or woman will follow Jesus. And so we read in verse 6, Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. What's the sign of genuine Christians? They put all their confidence and hope in Jesus. And they continue to do that till the end of the journey. 
I would guess most of us here will agree Jesus is greater than Moses. Most of us probably don't need to be convinced that Jesus is God's authoritative messenger. But what this passage is confronting us with is the need to follow Jesus right to the end of the journey. And if we are going to do that, we must stay sensitive to his voice. Let's go back to the Israelites. They did not need too much convincing to follow Moses out of Egypt. Life in Egypt was miserable. Exodus says it was bitter for them to be in Egypt. And when the Red Sea parted in front of Moses, the Israelites didn't need too much prodding to follow him across. But when they find themselves a few weeks later in the middle of the desert with no water, when they heard reports of enemies ahead of them, that's when their confidence and hope began to melt away. That's when they weren't so keen on listening to Moses anymore. That's when they began to rebel against the guide God had given them. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to see our situation is very similar. When we heard that Jesus died and rose to blaze a trail through death for us, when we heard that he paid for our sins by dying in our place, when we heard about God's plan to bring many sons and daughters to glory, when we heard all that, we were probably pretty enthusiastic about following Jesus. Who wouldn't want a part in that victory? But it doesn't take long to discover the road to glory can be long and it can be tough. We might follow Jesus out of slavery only to find ourselves in what feels very much like a desert. We might feel isolated. We might feel surrounded by enemies. We might feel we're being deprived of things that we'd really quite like to have. And as those circumstances begin to bite in our lives, it might not seem so attractive to continue listening to Jesus and obeying Jesus. We might start wondering if he really is a reliable guide through life. That's why the writer of Hebrews started chapter 3 by reminding us of Jesus' unique authority. Now he wants us to see how crucial it is to stay sensitive to Jesus' voice. First of all, because the journey is difficult. The quotation starting in verse 7 is from Psalm 95, which we read at the start of our time together. That psalm, we noticed, is a call to worship God and to soften our hearts to God's voice. And the psalm does that by referring back to the tragedy in the desert. When those people who'd marched triumphantly out of Egypt ended up rebelling against God. They did that by hardening their hearts against Moses, the guide God had provided for them. 
We read just one example of that rebellion from Exodus 17. We could have read many other examples. And finally God said to the people, none of you will enter the land I promised you. Instead of being led into Canaan, you're going to wander around this desert until your whole generation is dead. The next generation will enter the promised land. That's the background to what we read here in verse 7. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. Psalm 95 was not written to the Exodus generation. It points back to that generation and says to God's people at a later date, learn from what happened back then. When life is hard, don't harden your hearts the way they did against Moses. And here, the writer of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 95 to say to Christians, don't let your hearts get hard to Jesus. You will be tempted to when life gets difficult. The things that God did for you in the past, those things will begin to feel like a distant memory. Was it even really true what he did for me in the past? Did I imagine it? The pressures of the present will begin to seem too much to bear. And you'll find your heart hardening against the one who led you out of slavery. You'll be tempted to see Jesus as an unreliable guy. Does he even know what he's doing? I used to be popular. And now people give me the cold shoulder. I used to do and say what I wanted. And now Jesus calls me to deny myself in certain ways. Take great care to stay sensitive to Jesus' voice. Because the journey you're on is difficult. And second, because our hearts are prone to wander. This is still God speaking in verse 10. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Verse 10 says about the Israelites, their hearts are always going astray. At one point in the desert, the Israelites said, now that we think of it, life was pretty good back in Egypt. We were silly to leave. What were we thinking? Let's choose a new leader and go back. Their hearts went astray. They longed to go back to the place they'd been delivered from. Moses was leading them to rest and fulfillment in God's promised land. 
But they were more taken with the advertising campaigns coming out of Egypt. Pharaoh's not as bad as you remember him. Making bricks for Pharaoh's slave masters wasn't such a bad life after all. At the time, yes, you thought it was bitter. But come back and try again. Give it another go. Maybe you'll find it's sweet second time around. The writer of Hebrews knows you and I are susceptible to the same kind of thing. Being more attracted to a life of fitting in and going along with the flow. Ignoring God's boundaries when they feel inconvenient. Ignoring his blueprint for life when it doesn't seem to match with ours. Just following the blueprint we see on TV every day. Get what you can, live how you like, and don't let anyone tell you what to do. Except the people who are telling you not to let anyone tell you what to do. For some reason you really have to listen to them. The journey from Satan's slavery to God's glory can be hard. It's easy for our hearts to wander back to what we left behind. So the challenge comes to us. Look again at verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. God has given us an authoritative guide. Jesus and only Jesus can lead us to our eternal home, to the life we were made for. You and I have to see to it that we don't turn away from him. So let's take stock. Let's ask ourselves, am I all in for this journey? All in to follow Jesus? Or have I just been tagging along? Have I ever made the decision to put my confidence firmly in Jesus? Or have I just drifted into this Christian way of living that kind of suits me at the moment, or it did at least for a while? If we're only vaguely following Jesus, then we'll probably only be listening to him vaguely. We'll be quick to stop listening when life gets difficult and when other attractions come along. So, are you all in? Ask yourself that honestly. Are you willing to stake your whole life on Jesus? Will you follow him through difficult times? Will you follow him when it hurts you to follow him? When your heart feels pretty much drawn to something else? Maybe you used to be all in for Jesus. But verse 13 describes how things are going for you now. You are being hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Maybe without even noticing it, you've just stopped listening for Jesus' voice. 
You don't open your Bible anymore expecting to have your priorities and your direction set by God's authoritative messenger. Today, the way we listen to Jesus is by listening to the Bible. He said the Old Testament points us to him. And he said he would send his spirit to guide the writers of the New Testament. So it would be his word and not just theirs. We listen to our guide by listening to his written word, the Bible. But maybe over time you've stopped listening. You can hardly remember a time when a Sunday sermon or your own Bible reading actually impacted the way you live and speak and act. And so you're just getting on with life, quietly ignoring the only reliable guide for life. And maybe you can't even remember how you ended up that way. Being hardened by sin's deceitfulness is not usually a sudden event in our lives. Someone has compared it to falling asleep while you're driving. Maybe you have come close to doing that. I've come very close a few times. I started the journey alert and focused, knowing very well how crazy it is to let yourself doze off. But I can remember times when a couple of hours later I find my eyes closing slowly. Everything just started to feel so comfortable. And I was sure it wouldn't matter just to give in for a couple of seconds. Sin's deceitfulness works the same way. It creeps up on us slowly. And we find ourselves thinking it wouldn't hurt to ignore Jesus just for a bit. We'll get focused again later. But for now, we'll just give in to what we so, so want to do. Falling asleep at the wheel of a car can be disastrous. It happened to a good friend of our family And he drove off a bridge and drowned. How much more disastrous to fall asleep on the journey from Satan's slavery to God's glory. The only way to avoid falling asleep at the wheel is to take drastic measures to wake yourself up. Slap yourself in the face. Stop the car, do jumping jacks in the hard shoulder. Pull into the services and drink a gallon of coffee. When the stakes are so high, we do what it takes to wake ourselves up, don't we? And the same is true when it comes to waking up to Jesus' voice. Do what it takes to shake off the sleep caused by sin's deceitfulness. Do some serious praying for help. Reset your priorities in life. Tune back in to God's word. 
Put yourself among people who are awake to Jesus. Notice how verse 13 makes this not just a personal issue, but a community issue. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. As long as it is called today means as long as life lasts. Until this journey is over, we need to be participating in a Christian fellowship that will give us the encouragement and the exhortation and the warnings that we need. So ask yourself, do people in this fellowship know you well enough to give you the kind of encouragement you need? Does anyone know you well enough to do that? Or do you prefer to keep people at arm's length? Do you like to keep it all superficial? If you do, you are making yourself incredibly vulnerable to sin's deceitfulness. You're denying yourself a major source of help. So if you have chosen to isolate yourself from other Christians, or if you're drifting into isolation, how are you going to change that? If you're if you were falling asleep at the wheel, you would take drastic measures to avoid disaster. You wouldn't wait till you crashed off a bridge or if you, until you swerved into oncoming traffic. You'd do something before that happened. So what drastic measures will you take to avoid spiritual disaster? Talk to someone, just... Impose yourself on someone. Every member of this church has publicly committed to care for you. So put someone's commitment to the test. Tell them it's a spiritual emergency. You don't want to be isolated anymore. And whether that isolation is your fault or everybody else's fault, you're going to change it. But then let's flip it around. Are there people in the orbit of this fellowship who we are allowing to drift? If you don't see someone for a couple of weeks, do you ever do anything about it? Or do you assume someone else will get in touch with them? But doesn't the text in front of us suggest it's your responsibility to try and contact that person. Isn't that what this one another language means? The addresses and phone numbers of members are available in the church prayer diary. But maybe you still think this could never happen to you. This kind of spiritual hardness that ends up in disaster. But look down to verse 16. Who were they who heard and rebelled? 
Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? Those rebels in the desert, they had seen unparalleled displays of God's power. What we call the ten plagues in Egypt were really the ten signs. They were signs of God's sovereign power over nature, over human rulers, and over death. Those Israelites, remember, had watched as the waters of the Red Sea divided in front of Moses. They had walked between those walls of water. They watched as God descended on Mount Sinai in fire and smoke. Those people had seen more of God's power than any of us can expect to see. But not long after, they became hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So please don't say, it could never happen to me. Do what it takes to make sure it doesn't happen to you. Life will be difficult at times. Sin will seem very attractive at times. We need to take great care, daily care, to stay sensitive to Jesus' voice. Start every day with a fresh commitment to him. Find a way to listen to him every day. Find a way to have some quiet moments when you shut out all the other voices. And you pay attention to his voice, the authoritative voice, the voice that comes to us in the Bible, the voice that will guide us through the deserts and the valleys and the temptations of our lives. Listen with a commitment to trust Jesus' voice. Find ways to turn what you hear into obedience. All of us needs, every single one of us needs a reliable guide. We have one in Jesus Christ. So let's recommit ourselves to follow him. And let's help each other to follow him. We can begin to do that now as we sing together, All the way my Savior leads me.